Genesis chapter 12, and uh, we find ourselves in the last week of a hiatus uh, that we took out of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have the opportunity with this open Sunday to uh, go from uh, the book of Matthew to the book of Genesis, and uh, uh, and just share a little bit on, on what's on my heart, and uh, uh, the passage that we're looking at uh, uh, wasn't something I was thinking about preaching a couple weeks ago, but uh, through a course of a couple of events, I uh, really felt drawn to, uh, uh, to preach on this subject matter. Last Monday, I had the opportunity uh, with my dad to do some uh, television broadcasts that he's a part of uh, that uh, by satellite go to uh, the Mideast and to all parts of the world and uh, uh, are able to uh, serve in, in a language that they can understand, the Arab-speaking world. And I uh, had the opportunity to do that with them. That's not an easy thing for me, and it was a bit out of my comfort zone, but enjoyed doing ministry with, uh, with my dad. And we spoke in our TV broadcast on this subject matter of the calling of Abraham. And uh, so that kind of moved me in the direction. And then another thing, uh, since uh, Christmas, uh, our family has uh, uh, been uh, enjoying the Bible series that the History Channel put on. How many have seen the, the Bible series? Uh, I don't do a lot of recommending of things, and nor do I recommend everything that the Bible has, or its name is the Bible. But I would recommend that to you. It's not a word-for-word, uh, if you will, rendition of what took place. But it's awful close, and uh, I will tell you that uh, my boys have been really changed by it. Uh, uh, they are uh, desiring to uh, be more into the Word, especially my oldest son, uh, and desiring to learn more about the Word uh, through their creative adventures. So I would really encourage you to get your hands uh, on that. The only thing Amanda worries about is there's, there is some level of violence because the biblical times were a violent time, and, and uh, what has transpired is in the Bidal home we have the Israelites and we have the Philistines, and then what happens is, is people start fighting. And so we're concerned that we'll get a call from the school saying that uh, one of the boys took on a Philistine, and, uh, and then we'll be out of school, but that, that is the way it goes. So, uh, But I would encourage you to do that. But in, in that series... Uh, probably my favorite part is the calling of Abraham. I don't know if it was the actor or, or how they portrayed it, but, but I was just struck by this idea that a man who did not know God would hear the word of God and would leave all his comforts, all that he knew, to go by faith to a place that he had been called by God to go to do what God had called him to do. And I was struck with this thought that Abraham did it. And he did it not perfectly, as we don't do it perfectly, but he did it. And how easy it is for me in 2014 to not only hear the Word of God, but to respond in obedience to it, and how often I don't do that. And I began to think about that and how we are being called by God, maybe not to the same things Abraham was called to, but the calling still rings out today. And the question is, are we following uh, the he or heeding that calling? Now, we live in a time where technology helps us to know who's calling us. We have what we call as caller ID. And so the phone rings, and uh, we never used to have the luxury of, of being able to look to see who was calling us whether or not we wanted to spend the time or the effort in the conversation that would ensue by us picking up the phone. And so we were always surprised. Some of you young people are like, how did you live without caller ID? We lived without a lot of things back in the day. Uh, they called those the 90s. And, uh, um, and yet, caller ID enables us to look when the phone rings 
to determine whether we're going to answer the phone or not. Now I know, and you, you don't have to confess this, but I know there are certain people that when their name comes up on the caller ID, uh, you just let the phone keep ringing. Because you know that you may like the person, you may enjoy talking with the person, but time may not be the right time, or you may not want to involve yourself. Maybe they're calling and they need something, and so you leave the phone unanswered, and it rings and rings and rings. Now that may be okay for us to do once in a while physically or in our everyday lives, but for many of us, spiritually, that's how we interact with God. God is calling us through his word and by his spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more on how he does that. And we know that what God's going to call us to is sacrifice. He's going to call us to, to an uncomfortable decision, to, to maybe leaving that which we have come to really love and enjoy. And he's going to call us to do it. Maybe he's going to call us to give some of our money to, to a mission or to the church. Maybe he's going to call for us to give up some of our time. And we say, you know what, I just don't have time for that. And the calling of God goes unanswered. And some of you right now going into a new year are hearing the ringing of God's calling in your life. And over and over again, you allow it to go to voicemail at a time of convenience when you are good and ready to hear maybe what God is sharing with you. Well, in 2014, God is calling us not only to hear the calling, but to obey it. And there's no better place in all of Scripture for us to see a man hear the call of God and obey it than Abraham. Now again, he doesn't do it perfectly, but he does so faithfully, and God uses that faithfulness in Abraham to bless him in inexpressible ways. And I will tell you that the life of blessing, God's blessing, can be found when we hear and obey the call of God just as Abraham did. I want to look at this passage this morning, and I want to look at how we are to hear and obey the call of God. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, turn to page uh, 8 in your Bibles, an easy place to find. And as you do, as we open the Scriptures, let us stand for the reading of God's Word, and uh, let's see what the Word of the Lord has to say to us today. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. I'm going to go through uh, verse 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the the one or him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let's pray. Father God, we pray amidst a a snowy and blustery day that you would speak clearly to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. You are calling each of us to honor and serve you with our lives. So Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. And Lord, that we would not, as James says, just simply be hearers of the word, the hearers of your call, but we would be doers of it. Lord, whatever you're calling us to, it may be great and and big in human eyes and perspective. It may be something small behind the scenes. Lord, I pray that whatever you may be calling us to, we would be equal to the task by faith and that we would honor and bring glory to your name by being obedient and doing so. We love you and thank you and give it all to you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
As we look at God's calling in Abraham's life, we can quickly, and some of you right away have a defense mechanism that goes up. And your defense mechanism is simple. You look at this passage and you say, all right, Tim, I get it. It's in the Bible, but it happened 4,000 years ago. And, and it doesn't involve me. And this was Abraham's calling. It wasn't my own. And God doesn't call uh, everyday normal people. He calls pastors. He calls missionaries. He calls uh, Bible teachers and professors. Uh, but not those who, who work in, in the office or in sales or, or in a factory uh, uh, with your hands or in the home. And I want to remind you, before we even get into our text this morning, that God's calling is not to a simple vocation. One of the things that I hear over and over again when I share with people what I am doing, and they hear about the size of the church, they will quickly ask the question, when will you finally fulfill your calling? When will you become a full-time pastor? And my response to them is, is that my calling is not simply to be a pastor. That's, that's a part of it. But the same calling that I have as a pastor is the same calling that I have to be a good and godly husband, a godly father. To be a godly employer, to be a a good businessman who obeys and heeds the word of God, to be a godly neighbor. You see, my calling is all of me, not part. You see, when we begin to say that, that pastors are the only ones who have the call, then what happens when my pastoring is done? What happens when my job as the preacher is over? Uh, what would happen, God forbid, that he would lead me from this place uh, to no longer preach as I do on a Sunday morning? Is my calling done? No, not at all. And so each of us need to understand that we have a calling. God has uniquely placed us in the places we are, the book of Acts tells us, that we are to serve and honor God with all that we do. We are called in the book of Romans to offer our whole selves, our whole bodies as living sacrifices, which is acceptable and pleasing act of worship to God. And so we need to recognize that when we talk about calling, we're not talking about some full-time ministry, some full-time occupation of Christian service, but that all of us, young to old, are called to serve God and that this calling that Abraham receives is not much different than the calling that each of us receive. Now, right away, some of you will say, well, it would be easy to accept the calling of God if it came just as it did with Abraham. I mean, my goodness, God spoke to Abraham. Well, here's the thing that we don't know. We don't know how Abraham received the call. We don't know if it was some magnificent and marvelous sight to be seen or if it was done in a dream or a still small voice. Now, we know that the Bible's clear that his calling comes in many different ways. Some are incredible. Moses is walking through the wilderness of Midian, and he comes upon a burning bush that will not be consumed. That's a pretty amazing thing. I haven't seen that happen. And and from that burning bush, a voice cries out and calls out to Moses, telling him that he is God and that Moses was to go and save his people from Pharaoh. And then I think of Mary. We just celebrated Christmas. And many of us would say, well, I would totally be obedient if I had received the call like Mary did. I mean, my goodness, she had Gabriel in her midst, an angel of the Lord standing before her announcing. It's easy to be obedient when you have that. Or maybe the Apostle Paul. It would be easy for me to obey God and to do what he's calling me to do if I'm on my way to a certain destination. And on that way, uh, the resurrected Jesus was standing before me, calling me to something. But amidst all of those magnificent callings, 
we know that the Bible is abundantly clear that not all of them happened that way. Now, I will tell you that I think it is far easier for us today to heed the calling of God than it was for Abraham, than it was for Mary, than it even was for the Apostle Paul. And the reason why is because we have some things at our disposal that they didn't. Now, one right away, the question will come up, well, how do I know God's will with regards to my calling? How do I determine that? And before we get into the outline, I want to give you three very biblical steps, if you will, to understanding and knowing God's will. And it's far more simple than you think it would be. To know and understand God's will and God's calling in your life, three things need to be involved. Number one, the scriptures. And so you need to ask the question, is God calling me to something that the Bible speaks of well. Now I know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter how I feel or, or what others tell me, that my calling is not to take on another wife uh, and to have a second wife with Amanda. The Bible says you can't do that. I am to be a husband of one wife and I am to love and cherish her and, and to make her my own. And so I can't say whether I feel like it or my emotions are telling me to do so that I can't do that. And so we need to understand that the scriptures are our first way of knowing what God's will is. Number two is that we need to sense the Spirit's leading. And so there's Scripture and then the Spirit's leading. So you have a decision to make. And so your first mechanism that you should go to is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? How can I bring God's Word to bear with regards to whatever decision you're having with regards to God's calling? If it's a ministry, it's an area of service, if it's what to do with your finances, what does God's Word say? Number two, what is the Spirit saying to me? Now, just because you say the Spirit is leading doesn't mean the Spirit's leading. And so what you need to do is when you get to number two, you have to then funnel it through number one. I can't tell you how many people have told me that God has called them to something that goes contrary to the will of God. And so we have to ask the question, is the Spirit leading? And we're told that we are to test the spirits. Not all spirits that speak to us are the Spirit of the Lord. And so we have to take the Spirit's leading and then funnel it through the Scripture and ask the question, does the Word of God say it is right and true? We live in a society that says the Spirit of God is speaking and it goes contrary to the Scriptures. And we know that the Spirit will never lead to a place that the Scriptures are to be contradictory. Number three, ask the question, what do the spectators say? And what I mean by that is, what do the good and godly people around you say on the subject? The Bible says that wisdom is found in a multiplicity of counselors. And so we go to the Word and we see that the Word of God says that what we should do, and maybe we're still a little foggy. Lord, I see what the Scriptures are saying, but I'm not exactly sure in my situation how it should work. Lead me, Lord. Guide me to the way of truth. And then you say, well, it still doesn't seem that it's clear. Maybe I'm missing something. We are called to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are to ask them and seek wisdom from them. One of the jobs of the elder is to help counsel uh, the people of God, to help them understand what the will of God is. And it's then that we're able to make a good and godly decision. And still, even after those three things, there are still many times there's a step of faith. Now, let me help you with this with regards to my own calling as a preacher. Uh, some 11 years ago, uh, I was just like you, sitting in a pew, enjoying myself, going to work Monday through uh, Friday, doing my thing and helping in the church. And then I began to feel the Spirit's leading that God was calling me to something more. 
the church was going through some transitions, and, and I had been given some opportunities to preach. And so I began to walk through this process. And so, God, are you calling me to, to preaching and to teaching and calling me to lead in the church? Well, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.1, if a man desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble thing. That's check mark number one. That means that God's word has given a stamp of approval that what I'm longing for isn't a bad thing. Number two, in those years, I was amazed at how God was changing my heart, that the things I used to be excited about took a secondary place to the things of God. I was beginning to experience what it was like to minister and to serve God and to feel the overwhelming presence of God in my life. I was seeing how God's word could be taught in ways that I never thought were possible, especially by a guy like me. Now, then the question was, well, Lord, where, where are you going to have me serve, and how will you have me serve? Uh, many of you weren't around for those days, but our, our pulpit committee had 10 criteria they were looking for for the next pastor of their church. And of those 10 qualifications, I kid you not, I, I had two of them. I was saved, and uh, I, I thought I was at least maturing in my walk with Christ. So I knew that that was a closed door. But what began to happen over those years, and some of you were a part of that process, little by little. And it was hard because I was a, a, in my mid-20s when this was going on. I was a young man. The people of God, as they watched me serve, said, hey, there's something going on in this man's life. God may, may be using this young man in a way that maybe we didn't even see as a possibility. And what took, transpired was God would use the affirmation of the congregation that day to enthusiastically affirm my role here. But it still took faith. Even after all of that, an amazing thing that God did, it still took faith because here was the thing. One of the things I struggled with, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. One of the things I struggled with was I had preached at that point, I think about 40 or 50 sermons. Okay, now that's quite a bit. For some of you who never preach a sermon in your life, that's a lot. But for a preacher, that's not a lot to really focus in on. And my concern was, what will I do when I run out of material? What's going to happen? Well, at one of these points, I'm just going to look at the Bible and have nothing. Well, I don't know how many sermons I've preached, but I, I think I average about 40-some sermons a, a year. And if I've been here doing this 10, we're into the 400s now. And I will tell you, I am more excited about what God is teaching me today than I was way back then. And God has met me every step of the way. And I hope that those who have journeyed with me in that process have seen that when God calls... He always takes care of the details. And so here's the question this morning for you. What is God calling you to? What is God uh, wanting to share with you about where he wants you to go? Nobody can answer that but you. Nobody can answer that but you going before the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, my phone is available, and when I hear it ring, I'm going to be quick to answer it, not when it's convenient, not when I think it's important, but I'm going to do whenever you speak, I'm ready to hear. And to see that and recognize that, then we're able to know and understand what God's good and pleasing will is. Now notice in the text that when we approach this text, we come to it and say, okay, the word of the Lord came to Abram. We're like, okay. So, here's Abram, and he's kneeling in his study, he's praying over the scriptures, and he's just enjoying God's favor, and God comes knocking. And of course Abraham's ready. Well, I want you to know that Abraham had no idea who God was. 
When God came knocking, Abraham was living in a day and age that was not very different from us. I want you to notice in our outlines this morning, first of all, the culture of the day. When God gives the call to Abraham, we see a society that Abraham is living in that's very much the same as in 2014 America. Notice three characteristics that I see. You're going to have to add one more space because I added some things uh, after the outline was sent in. Number one, write down that the society and the days that, that Abraham lived in were a prideful time. They were a prideful time. The book of Genesis, the first part of Genesis, shows God's awesomeness, okay? His power, his majesty, his, his ability to create out of nothing to turn nothing into something. That's pretty amazing. And so we see God in his place. And then what we see over and over again in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis is man's pride. It's the pride of man that causes man to sin in the garden. It is man who wants to do things his way instead of submitting to God's ways. It is man's pride that leads him into all kinds of uh, uh, terrible, uh, pervasive sin that, that is perverse uh, in the days of Noah. It's pride that uh, uh, causes even before Noah Cain to kill Abel, to take into his own hands uh, his own judgment. But it's pride in the day and age of Abraham, a couple generations before Abraham, In Genesis chapter 11, it is pride that causes man to build the Tower of Babel. In a region very similar as where uh, Abraham will find himself, we see that the Tower of Babel is built. Now notice, they come together and they say in verse 4 of chapter 11, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Now notice why they do it. And let us make a name for ourselves. The sin of the Tower of Babel is not a building of a tower. Not even building of a magnificent tower. But it's the building in your own strength a life that will then give you a claim. Can I tell you that the day and age that Abraham lived in is no different than today? Because we are filled with people who are building their own Tower of Babels of their lives. Building towers in their lives so that they can make a name for themselves. And God says that that is pride. That is idolatry. Now notice, where is this calling coming from? It's calling to a place where Abraham is. He's in the Ur of the Chaldeans, northern Iraq. This is going to be uh, the place of, of my ancestry on my father's side. And we see that this calling comes to a place that is an ancient city, 4,000 years ago. But I want you to notice when we see Ur of the Chaldeans, this area and place that we must recognize a couple things about it. We are told by ancient scholars, both secular and biblical historians, that Ur of the Chaldeans was a major city of some 300,000 people. It was a commercial center that had its city limits that spanned some seven square miles. That's a big town. It was known to be a place of great affluence, of commerce. It was filled with a fully functioning educational system. And it had all types of roadways and a full infrastructure that would rival any modern day city. But notice that what we see in Abraham's day was not only a prideful people, but a polytheistic people. Here Abraham, we are told, is living in a culture where they did not serve one God. But they served many gods. And according to Joshua 24.2, Joshua 24.2, 
we are told that Abraham and his fathers worshipped many gods. In fact, when Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve, remember what he says, will you follow the fa- your fathers who worshipped other gods near the Euphrates, the river Euphrates, or will you choose God? And so we need to understand that Abraham is living in a day where he is serving other gods, multiple gods. Jewish tradition tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, made his living by building relics and statues to worship the many different gods. And so here we have Abraham not opening uh, the scriptures. They're not written yet. It's too early in the day. He's not praying to Yahweh. No, he is no doubt helping build these statues and relics. He's investing in all different types of gods. Now, the biggest god of the day was the god Ningal, who was the moon god. This god was so revered that every father who had a daughter would offer his daughter to the priest of Ningal in any way the priest wanted to use the woman for good fortune for the family. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that Abraham was active in this type of living. And so we have a time that is prideful, but notice it's also polytheistic. Can I tell you something? Here in America, you may think that we only serve one God, but it doesn't take us long to know and understand that we are a polytheistic nation. We, we, we worship multiple gods, and not just the gods of the false religions of the world, but can I tell you something? Here we are going to have, we have six, eight inches of snow out here, and our churches are relatively empty today. Let me tell you where it will not be empty. At about four o'clock this afternoon, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, 75,000 people will brave below zero wind chills and will pay top dollar to fill that stadium to the God of football. And millions of us will make sure that we do make sure our schedules are cleared so that we can be a part of the greatest worship service that man can put together and put on TV. And you say, Tim, wait a minute. Are you saying football's wrong? No. But I would also say the moon isn't bad, is it? And they worship the moon. But what Paul tells us is, is that man, because of his depravity, will choose to worship created things instead of the creator who is to be forever blessed. And so let us be careful to ever think that we can separate ourselves from the day and calling of Abraham because he lived in a different time. No, brothers and sisters, he lived in a prideful time that we do, a polytheistic time just like we do. And notice, it was a perverse time. It was a perverse time. Throughout the scriptures, we will see over and over again the perversion of the ancient city that Abraham came from, Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans. For whatever reason, the land where Abraham was called home is a place where rampant sexual immorality was practiced, where unwanted babies by the thousands were sacrificed to God. And you say, how could a country throw away little babies, beautiful babies, And I sit there and I say, just as we do with millions of babies with abortion. How can you live in in such perverse ways sexually where everybody and anybody can find themselves uh, in the bed of another? I will tell you here in America, it's no different. And you know that by watching television and seeing that, culture is clear. We are just as perverse as the Ur of the Chaldeans. 
Here's the thing. We need to be careful because we run a risk when we come to a passage like Genesis 12 where we sterilize the Scriptures and we begin to say, well, it was a different time and therefore it was easy for him to obey. God was calling amidst, and he's doing today. God's call to his people is coming out in a perverse, prideful, and polytheistic society. And here's the thing. God's best work is done when it's darkest. And so God's calling. And you may say, well, my day is dark. My times are dark. I'm the only believer around. Well, here's the thing. Abraham wasn't even a believer when God called him. And I want you to notice a couple things about this calling. Once again, we're not told how this message comes, but notice the calling that God gives. Notice in verse 1 it says, the word of the Lord uh, was given to Abram. The Lord said to Abram. Now, we don't know what it was, but we know it was enough, listen to me, to cause Abraham to stop and listen. But it wasn't so simple enough that Abraham didn't have to exhibit faith. What God is going to call him to is a tall task. But also recognize that it was not so hard that Abraham couldn't have accomplished it. Understand this. Whatever God calls us to, it will never be more diff- too difficult for us to uh, achieve it. But it will always require faith on our part. He will call us to something greater than ourselves. I could never have imagined doing what I'm doing right now. 12 years ago. It was not even on my radar. But I can tell you God has been faithful. God has seen me through every step of the way. But here's some of the things we need to understand about God's calling. Number one, God's calling always starts with God. It always starts with God. Notice the text. The text tells us that the Lord said to Abram. It does not say Abram said to the Lord. That is so important for us to see. It was not Abraham who was looking for a transition. It was not Abraham looking for a new homeland. It was not Abraham who was seemingly discontent where he was at. No, it was God who comes calling. It is God who begins the conversation. It is God who initiates the calling. And I want you to understand that our salvation is exactly the same way. The Bible tells us that the only thing that we do when God comes knocking is we go our own way. Over and over again, the scripture tells us that no one seeks after God. But it is God who is the God who seeks and saves that which is lost. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it wasn't because a light dawned on you that you said, you know what, maybe I should look into this Jesus. Maybe I should look into this God. It may do me some good. No, it was God who came knocking. It was God who came seeking uh, to find you who was lost, blind, and held captive by the evil one. I want to emphatically tell you that it is God and him alone who began the good work in you. And it is God and God alone who will see it to the day of completion. That's why salvation is the Lord's. So the calling, whatever God is going to call us to, it always begins with him. It's never our idea. It's never our vision. It's never our dream. It starts in the heart of God. Number two, notice it's specific in nature. Notice the clear direction God gives to the calling. Leave where you are and go where I'm going to tell you to go. The idea here is I'm going to take you step by step. And as long as you're humble, as long as you're willing to follow me, I will be very specific. I'm not going to leave you wandering. Some of you say, well, Tim, I would follow the calling of God, but it's too ambiguous. It's too, you know, it's too hard to follow. God says if we humble ourselves... He will draw near to us, and we are told he will lead us every step of the way. 
He does that with many of our, our great fathers of the faith, where he tells Joshua, hey, I will help you. Be strong and courageous. Don't veer to the left. Don't veer to the right. Go exactly where you need to go. And here's the thing. When Abraham does not faithfully follow the word of God, it is then and only then that he runs into trouble. Every time he followed God, God led him to where he needed to go. But it was when he departed from it that he found himself getting into the trouble that he does. Notice the next thing about this calling. It's not a suggestion. You see, some of us think that God's suggesting some things. But notice in the text, it does not say, And the Lord suggested to Abram, Hey, have you thought maybe about going from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I might show you? And maybe I'll make you a great nation. And maybe, if everything works out okay, I might bless you and possibly make your name great. That you will be a blessing. He doesn't say that at all. Notice in the text the word go. It's a command. And we need to understand, some of us think that, that God, when, when, when he comes calling, he's just suggesting some things. No, God is commanding us to do some things. God is commanding us to stop living life for ourselves and to follow him and to pursue him. But if we're not answering the call of God, if we're not picking up that spiritual phone in our lives, then we will never live out the commands God has for us. He's commanding, not suggesting. Notice that in the scriptures, the Bible never presents the gospel as a suggestion, but always a command. Repent. Turn from your sin. And follow me. All of those are commands. To follow God is to obey his ways and do what he says. Not to maybe do them or might do them if the time is right. But to do them because that's what God has called us to. Notice the next one is that it involved a special relationship. It involved a special relationship. Notice in the text all the relational words. He says, uh, go and I will show you. God says, I will make you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you, Abraham. I'll make your name, Abraham, great. And you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And notice over and over again, God is offering Abraham a wonderful relationship, an opportunity of a lifetime to have a relationship with God. Later on in the Bible, we are told that they would have such a close relationship that God would consider Abraham a friend. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I'm not sure what does. Here is the God of the universe who requires nothing, who has no need of anything, who is self-existent and self-sustaining in his own being and person. And he says, you know what? I really enjoy my time with Abraham. I enjoy hanging out with him. I enjoy conversing with him. I enjoy, he's my friend. And here's the thing. God's calling us to that same relationship. God says to all those who receive him, to those who believe on his name, to them he gives the right to become children of God. We're a part of the family of God. And the Bible says, and, and God and, and Jesus addresses this with his uh, followers. He says, I now call you my friends. You know my business. You know what I'm doing. And so we have this God who doesn't want us at arm's length, but he's calling us into a relationship where we are with him. Now notice the relationship that he has is not some junior high uh, girl or boy relationship where they're friends for two weeks and then they're enemies. Notice that God's relationship with Abraham extends all the days of Abraham's life. 
But let us not forget that that commitment and that relationship goes on to Abraham's ancestors, the children of Israel. And throughout Israel's history, God is the friend of Israel. He loves Israel. He shows them grace and mercy amidst their sin. He lavishes upon him his promises and covenants. But notice that the book of Romans also tells us that it's not Israel, literally the blood uh, that runs through our veins that makes us Israel, but it's the circumcision of the heart. And the book of Romans tells us that anybody who follows God and pursues Christ as their Savior is grafted into the ancestry of Abraham. And so you and I are a byproduct of this special relationship. And that relationship doesn't end when we die. It's a relationship that will go on for all of eternity. For we will rule and reign as co-heirs with Christ in glory. What a relationship. What a relationship. Now notice, you sit there and say, wow, this is easy. This is great. This is what I hear the TV preachers talking about. That man, if I obey God, he'll bless me. And there's truth to that. But notice one final thing. Add a line to it. Because I didn't have this in there. Just because you're called by God doesn't mean there won't be struggles. That there won't be struggles. The life of Abraham was one big struggle. The struggle of faith. Abraham has said that he's going to have a great nation. And what does he have going for him? He has a barren wife. And for year after year of no baby, no baby, the struggle of that, God, are your promises not going to be revealed? Are they not going to be fulfilled? And we're going to see over and over again, there are struggles a many, a plenty in Abraham's life. Just because he obeys God doesn't mean it's going to get easy. And there are struggles, and there are pains, and there are sorrows. But God says, I use those things to build in you your life character and hope and perseverance. And here's the thing. We heard this morning about a hymn at communion, about a man who lost almost everything in his life. But God used those struggles, those pains, those tribulations to produce in him greater hope and perseverance. So what are we to do with all this? We haven't examined all of the promises, and that wasn't my intention. I wanted to look at the calling. And so what are we to do with that calling that God calls? Well, there is a a challenge before us. And the challenge before us is, is a wonderful place to be at in the new year. Because I want to ask you some questions this morning. What is God calling you to? Don't look at the person down the row and say, well, you know, I really think that guy should be doing more in the church, or I think that lady should be serving on a mission field. I want you to ask the question this morning, how is God calling you? What is he sharing with you today? How is he speaking with you? What I want you to do is I want you to be quiet enough that you could hear the phone ring. I want you to be home when the phone rings. And maybe in this new year, God has been calling, and you haven't been answering because you've been too busy too busy with your own stuff that you're not hearing the call of God. But what might the challenge of the calling be for us? I want to present four different callings that God may be having for you as a people and for me as well. The first one is, is is it maybe that God is calling you to renounce some sin? Is God calling you to turn away from some things in your life? Some of us have brought into 2014 the same garbage we had in 2013. The same sin, the same pattern of living, the same disobedience. And we're a year older. And I pray, pray a year wiser. 
But have you left those former things? You know that God would not bless Abram until he left Ur. And some of us need to leave the errs in our lives, the comfortable things in our lives, those sins that make us feel good, those sins that, 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 that give us a sense of, of real greatness, a sense of, of, of good in our lives. And God is saying, hey, that's not of me. That's of the devil. That's of, of your flesh. I want you to leave that stuff. Abraham had to leave that which was comfortable at nearly 70 years of age to go to what God was pursuing. And some of us this morning have been struggling with sins for years. And God is saying, my calling will not be revealed in your life until you get rid of that stuff. Until you bow the knee to me instead of those idols in your life. Number two, it involves receiving his salvation. Some of you may be here today and you're saying, yeah, I want God to call me. Yes, I want God. Uh, I want to be near God. I want his presence. Well, that means by faith we have to believe and trust his word. And his word says that we must accept him as our Lord and Savior. And maybe today you, you're wanting God's calling in your life. You're wanting God's presence in your life. And, and you're saying, I don't hear it. Well, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never trusted him and obeyed him in obedience. But I'm going to believe that, that I'm speaking to a group of, of, of godly individuals who have trusted Christ as their Savior, who recognize that God cannot have fellowship with darkness, so you long to live in the light. And so I'm going to bring two more things up to you. You see, accepting God's calling, receiving God's calling, means releasing as a sacrifice all things. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we must offer our bodies, all of who we are, as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing and acceptable for our worship to God. And so let me ask you just very quickly four questions. Are you releasing all of your time to God? I mean, is there anything that takes precedent over, over your worship and service to God? Is there something more important when you start your day than God? God says, I want you to release that. What about your talents? The gifts that God has given you. Are you using them? Have you received the call of God to respond? It's going to take sacrifice. Being a preacher of God's word, being an elder in the church, man, that takes time. It takes energy. It means saying no to a lot of hobbies and a lot of, a lot of things because God has gifted me in a way that he's commanded me to use those gifts. And God's commanded you as well. And when you say no to those things, you aren't saying no to suggestions that God gives. You're saying no to his commands. So what talents are you allowing hibernating in your life that you haven't released to him? How about your treasures? I am so blown away by the generosity of the people of God. But here is what we know that has been a pretty standard uh, thing at Village Bible Church. Of that million dollars that is raised, 80% of that million dollars is raised by 20% of the people that call Village Bible Church their home. So we have 20% of our people that are incredibly generous. And you say, but Tim, you don't know my financial certainty. I don't. I don't know what 20% of those people are either, so you can't get me on that. But I will tell you, what a great time to really ask the question, Lord, are you worth my money? Are you worth what I might give? Or is my house more worth it? Or having the new car or, or, or putting myself in such financial confines that I can't give. And I know some of you are there. And so you know what? 
God is calling you to give. God is commanding you to give, whether it's to this church or somewhere else. I don't care where you do it. I just want to see the people of God in this place giving to the Lord. And you say, but I can't. Well, then commit to God. I'm going to do everything I can to, as soon as possible, give to the Lord in a reasonable way. We need to be giving of our time, our talents, our treasure. How about our testimony? But, but Tim, you don't understand. If I speak up, I might lose my job. If I speak up, I might lose my friend. If I speak up, I'll lose my popularity at school. If I speak up, a whole lot of trouble's going to come. Well, you know what? Abraham left everything that was comfortable and went to a place that he did not know. If faith wasn't required, then we would know exactly what was going to happen. But let me tell you something. It is that type of step of faith that pleases God. And when we are willing to take a stand for God, God says, I'll be with you. We only have to fast forward a little bit to see three guys take a stand for God in a pagan society under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And yeah, they didn't know what was going to happen. They were looking to a fiery uh, date in the furnace where their lives would be brought to an end. And what do we see happen? That when we take big steps for God, Jesus is with us, whether in life or in death, whether in loss of popularity or loss of occupation, we can serve and honor God fully knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. So that means one final thing. Are you willing to respond in submission? Notice what Abraham does. It's it's just so simple. He says in verse 4, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Are you willing to go as the Lord has called you? Are you willing to take God's word by faith and God's calling? And even if it means changing your life and changing your circumstances, it may mean taking some big steps. It may mean going to a foreign land. It may mean stepping up in ways in the church or in ways in spiritual service that you've never done before. It may be in small ways. Sending a card or, or a, a word of encouragement to someone that maybe is a bit out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's sharing Christ tomorrow in the workplace. Whatever it is, are you willing to do what the word of the Lord says and respond? My prayer is that you will in this new year. My prayer is on a wintry mor- morning like this, we would stop in the quietness of this place and say, Lord, are you calling me? And if so, I'm ready to receive. Just as the little boy Samuel in the Old Testament who heard the voice of the Lord was commanded to go back and say, Lord, here am I, speak to your servant. Would that be your response today to allow the word of the Lord to speak to us and to respond with an affirming yes, Lord, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I'm thankful for those that hear this word, but I know, Lord, this is a word that needs to be heard uh, for all those who call Village Bible Church their home. Lord, we want to be an obedient people. We know you've given us a calling. You've called us to love you to the point of transformation. It will take faith to do that because our world says that we should not. We are called to love each other to the point of sacrifice. Lord, that means it's going to cost us. and It's going to take faith. It's going to cause digging deep. Lord, it's going to mean uh, loving our neighbors to the point of action. Lord, that means we've got to know our neighbors. We can't just wave to them from our, from our uh, cars. Lord, it's going to mean getting involved in our neighbors' lives. It's going to be reaching out to them and loving on them as, as unloving as they may be, as unkind as maybe they may be, as, as ungodly as they may be. 
or whatever, whoever they are, it's going to mean that we step out of our comfort zone and serve those and love on those that we live life with. Lord, we are called to do that, to live as aliens and strangers, not holding on to the things of this world, but to let them go. I think of the words of Martin Luther who said, Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. Lord, I pray that that would be our word. And Lord, as I think as we close this morning out, the simple application is a simple song I learned as a little boy. To trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, I pray that we would trust your word and obey it and do whatever you may be calling us to, no matter how unique it may be, no matter how out of our comfort zone it may be, so that we may glory in you, we may be a blessing to others, and that through our lives and your love and your grace, we may shine like a city on a hill, that we might be the salt and light. In Christ's name we pray, amen.